How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 4 of the OTL Layup Line Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Nolan Russell. Nolan, how's it going? It's going lovely, you know? <laughs> it's, always, it's always sunny. I'm the lovely co-host, so it's always lovely, yeah. No, it's going well. I mean, it's March Madness season, so I'm, I'm pretty happy. It's pretty much my favorite time of year, so I'm in a great mood. How's it going with you? Uh, not too bad, about the same. I mean, we both, uh, we were talking about it before we started, but the March Madness bracket just got released. Nolan specifically is not too pleased at <laughs> some of the seedings. We're not going to actually get into that today. Today, we're mostly just going NBA-centric. We're going to leave the March Madness stuff to uh, to a later date further on down this week that you guys will be able to enjoy. We're going to give our scope of the NBA today. We're going to revisit some of the biggest trades at the NBA trade deadline just over a month ago on February 10th. We're going to do a quick standings overlook, give some trend watch to our to our listeners here give some indication as to who we think is going to make it deep in the playoffs and even possibly win the chip. And then following that, we're going to talk about a little bit of preemptive award predictions since there's only a little bit of the season left and everyone's kind of staking their claim for what awards and hardware they could take home. And yeah, without further ado, we'll jump right into the trade talk. So we will start with none other than Norman Powell heading to the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, for those who aren't too familiar, the Clippers received uh, Robert Covington and Norman Powell, and Portland received the package of Eric Bledsoe, Keon Johnson, Justice Winslow, a 2025 second-round pick from L.A. via Detroit. The trade on paper didn't look too bad for me. I mean, the Clippers are getting Norman Powell, who is producing very well for Portland, averaging just over 16 points a game, knocking down threes at a really good clip this year. He was a good, good serving a, a role, considering the injury history this year of Paul George and Kawhi. And I think, I think it's a good flip for the Clippers. I think, considering what they gave up i really don't think it was that much to get a guy like powell in the building a basically a third a third star to take some attention away and knock down a three here and there and his product productivity hasn't dropped he's been playing well when he's been in the lineup do you want to give your uh your look on the blazers side here what do you what do you give the blazers if you were to give them a grade yeah i would start by just like adding on top of the norman powell thing i still really like robert covington i think he's a, he's a very good versatile defender his shooting touch has not been as good as it used to be which Part of the problem offensively he doesn't add a lot anymore but he's still one of the better defenders in the league so i think that's a good addition to that trade for the clippers as well but from the blazers standpoint i thought this was a bad trade like from the get-go i don't think they got the kind of value that they deserve to get for giving up powell and covington they got a 2025 second round pick which is not really that valuable they got keon johnson who i'm not personally that high on i think he's got some upside but he doesn't really uh, strike me as a potential star or anything like that. So I don't know, not, not really the best player to get there. Eric Bledsoe, I think kind of sucks at this point. <laughs> um, and he doesn't really fit their timeline. So that doesn't really help them at all. And I think they ended up waving him anyways. And then Justice Winslow, I really like Justice Winslow. I've always liked him. He played great for them his first few games there. And then the problem with Justice Winslow, we see it again now, he pretty much always gets hurt. So yeah. He's hurt like four games into his tenure with Portland, and that's the issue with him. And if he's kind of the best guy you're getting back in a package for Norman Powell, I think you got to look at this as a pretty bad trade for them. Obviously, I know they want to clear some cap space, and apparently the plan is to try to bring in some marquee free agents to join Dame. But I don't know. Portland's not exactly the premier free agency destination, so I think going for the route of uh, going for some more prospects and draft picks instead would have probably been what I would have done in their position. So I don't know. I just see this trade as a pretty mediocre trade for them. And I'd give them like, I don't know if I had to give them a grade, I'd say like D D plus maybe. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to add really quick on the same tangent you were talking about. A lot of people were mentioning that this is uh, very much a cap move as you said to open up the opportunity to bring in more talent for Damian Lillard. And even then, even if you were to make the argument, I would argue that it's a 
pretty steep undersell of two guys like Powell and Covington when you're getting back to package that you had just mentioned. I really don't think that there was a notable enough name to represent the value that both of them have. And if you're really like, if you really want to get nitty gritty with the contract, I mean, it's really not even that bad when you look at it like four years 74 and a half we've seen guys get overpaid way worse than that he's making 20 and a half in his final year i really don't see it as being a glaring amount of money to want to move actively in the middle of the season um i would have almost rather them keep him till the off season i think he would have been just as valuable in the off season to somebody going into next year in saying that i mean deal's done it's clear portland wants to move on from this generation of the team and they're looking to build century centrally around dame we're going to stick with that though cj mccollum being traded to New Orleans, Josh Hart going back to Portland. Pelicans got CJ McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell. Portland received Nikhil Alexander Walker, Josh Hart, Didi Luzada, Thomas Sadoransky, 2022 first round pick, protected one to four. And it turns into Milwaukee's uh, first rounder with top four protection, if not conveyed, and a 2026 second round pick and a 2027 second round pick. On paper, I think this actually was a fairly good package to get back for Portland. I think they got a lot of premier young talent along with enough draft capital to justify the move. McCollum's still been producing. There's no surprise. I mean, he's an elite scoring guard. I, there was no surprise that his productivity wasn't going to drop off. I just, the fit, the fit is good, but I mean, the problem with New Orleans is just getting all your players healthy on the court at the same time. And I think until we see them at full, at full form, I really don't. I really don't want to give this trade like a hard grade. From the Pelicans' point of view, bringing in a guy like CJ, I think I'd give him probably a B plus. I think given the package, I mean, they really didn't give up too many like premier pieces in their rotation, unless you consider uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker borderline starter, which I don't. But they did get a lot of value back in the form of CJ. Plus, Larry Nance Jr. can play here and there, and he has good defensive versatility. Offensively, he's basically just a rim runner, pick and roll player. And Tony Snell likes to run 31 minutes uh, with one stat <laughs> on the board. Seems like he does it once every year. I have. I mean, he's he's a good 3 and D bottom of the bench kind of guy but when you see what a healthy zion next to him means for uh the pelicans and we really don't know when that's going to happen but I, I do like the move getting cj in the building and putting some more premier talent around zion once he's going to come back and the pelicans are building something really they have a very good roster right now i think going forward if zion's healthy next year i think i think the roster of the pelicans will be very strong especially standing up in the rest of their conference but um yeah if you wanted to compliment that and whatever you want to say go ahead yeah, I like this one a lot more for the Blazers than the other one. I think Josh Hart was playing very well for New Orleans this whole season. And since being traded to Portland, he's been even better. Like, he's he's looking like a really, really good player for them. So I like that return. I like the fact that they got Nikhil Alexander-Walker, but then they just traded him away for basically nothing after, which is kind of strange. Um, they at least got some draft compensation as part of this one as well. So I think this one is probably like a B for Portland. I think this is about what you would expect to get for someone like CJ McCollum. It's unfortunate they didn't get like something a little bit more like, I don't know if CJ just, it feels like they maybe could have gotten a little bit more for him, but this is definitely not a bad trade for them. So I, I don't hate this from their perspective. I like it for the Pelicans though, for sure. I think CJ's already looked great for them. I think he's a good fit theoretically next to Zion. He's fit in pretty well with Ingram. So offensively that, that team's going to be dangerous next year if they're at full health. And if Zion decides to stay or, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in that, that whole scenario. It's kind of, kind of weird, hard to fully judge this trade based on the fact that we don't really know what's going on with Zion until like right now. So yeah, uh, it definitely, it, it's hard to grade a trade when, when something like that's going on, but I think on paper, this is a pretty good trade for them. I'd give it like an A minus B plus. Like you said, I think a minus kind of somewhere in that area. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, we'll segue quickly to, I would say the most interesting trade of the trade deadline. That'd be Sabonis going to Sacramento and Halliburton uh, going to Indiana. Uh, Indiana's package that they received was uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. And Sacramento received DeMontis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, and a 2023 second round pick. I'll let you take the reins for the next two. So you can, you could start with this one. Yeah. I mean, name for name, like value wise, it doesn't seem that bad. I just don't understand it though. I, I just don't get it. Like, what is the point of bringing in Sabonis? to Sacramento like you're a team that is pretty much perennially going to be that like 10 to 13 kind of seed in the west and Sabonis is not going to be the guy that changes that really and the biggest issue with Sacramento is their defense their defense has been asked for the past like three years and Sabonis is not going to change that I don't I don't get it uh I don't think they've won a single game since they've made this trade they've been scoring a like elite rates ever since making the trade but their defense has been so terrible that it doesn't matter so why bring in Sabonis it makes no sense like you're giving up a future star in Halliburton for a current star that doesn't really provide much value for your team a team that's just not going to be good anytime soon like they'll be mediocre at best for the next few years so why trade a future star for someone that's just going to keep you in that kind of 10 to 13 range, which is basically the worst spot to be in because you're never going to get like the, the highest pick in the draft and you're not making the playoffs either. So it's a bizarre trade. I don't get it. I don't like it, but it's great for the Pacers. So I'd give Indiana like an A. I'd give Sacramento like a D. And it's like I said, like name for name value wise, it's not that bad. It just, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, you kind of sum that one up perfectly there, especially with the season Halliburton was having. I, I just can't justify moving him. And especially for the package they got back, as you said, there's nothing that they're getting back value-wise that is going to improve the status of that team and how they play. They did need defensive versatility badly. And Sabonis just does not answer that call. I think the Pacers clearly won this trade. I don't think there's really two ways about that. The ability to enter next season with a course somewhat, well, hopefully of Brogdon, Halliburton, Duarte, Miles Turner, and possibly another through drafting. I think that could be a very, very good roster. And Halliburton's also been playing great with the Pacers since he went there. He's had a really good command of their offense. Um, I mean, he was doing very similar things in Sacramento, but he just seems very comfortable, especially as a 21-year-old in the league, leading a Sacramento offense. He's been playing very well. And especially considering how young he is, he's a very, very good pull-up jump shooter. He's got a long, lengthy frame. He's got a lot of potential to be a great two-way guard. And he's, he's been erupting into somewhat of a star this year, as you had mentioned. So I think the Pacers definitely won this trade. The the trade is just surprising for the Kings. I don't know why they would blow that up before they really even gave it a shot. But I, to be honest, I don't really spend, want to spend too much time on this one because I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory that the Pacers... It's, it's a very Sacramento move. Yeah. You know, they've been probably the least competently managed team in the league for the past decade. And this fits in pretty nicely with the rest of the moves they've been making. So it's a very <laughs> Sacramento move. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we're going to move on to probably everybody's, uh, everybody's cream of the crop trade of the, uh, NBA trade deadline. And Nolan probably already knows which one I'm talking about the beard going to Philadelphia and Ben Simmons going to Brooklyn. Uh, for I those definitely of- thought you were talking about Dennis Schroeder to the Rockets. Yeah, no, that one that one was like right under this one. We're going to get to that. Yeah, one. very close. <laughs> uh, but Brooklyn got Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, a 2022 first round pick, a 2027 first round pick, and then Philly got uh, James Harden and Paul Millsap. This one's tough. This one's tough for me because 
the original package that I'm looking at, I definitely think that, especially with Ben Simmons not playing, James Harden, obviously his value is immense to the 76ers and a re reorganization of that franchise and having the pick and roll of him and Joel Embiid. In saying that, from what I've watched of the 76ers, it is the epitome of dysfunctional basketball. I don't know. It's so strange to me with a possible pick and roll of Joel Embiid and James Harden, how hesitant James Harden is to actually use a pick and roll. It's, it's remarkable to me because the amount of flopping I've seen too in games, <laughs> it's just the two of them combined are brutal. Like it's Embiid, the most unwatchable team in the NBA right Embiid, now. Every other possession is backing down and just throwing his hands up in the air with the ball. And then Harden's driving to the paint, hooking people's arms and missing layups. And he's expecting calls. It's, it's like they never forgot that there were rule changes and they're trying to do the same things that would have worked last year. And it's infuriating to watch. It, it's very infuriating. And I, I just, the fit makes so much sense. I just don't know why it's just not, it just doesn't look good. I don't know why it doesn't look good. It's too, it's arguably the one of the best big men in basketball and one of the best ISO players in basketball. So how can you, I, I just don't know. It doesn't make much sense to me and until Ben Simmons touches the court though, and actually plays a good amount of games. I can't give this win to the nets. I do really like the nets package that they got back. They got very good three point shooting in Seth Curry and good bench depth. Um, they needed another center bad. So Andre Drummond fills a role. If Ben Simmons plays and plays well, or at least plays like he did before he forgot how to shoot, then I think, I think the Nets will eventually win this trade, but it's, it's just so hard to call because the sample size of Harden and Embiid has been so small. I, I don't know. How, how do you feel about this? I, I don't know that we'll defer too much on this one. Well, I mean, the Harden and Embiid thing started off pretty well. I think they won like their first four or five games together, but they're also playing some fairly mediocre teams. Um, and since then they haven't really looked that great. I don't know. It's there's something about Harden that just, I, I just don't like him that much. He's a very talented player, but there's just something about him that I feel like he's just not a winning basketball player anymore, especially since the rule changes. I think he's too stuck in his old ways. Uh, he's too much of a one dimensional isolation, you know, giving me the ball, everyone else just stand out of the way. Let me do everything. And I don't know. I have, I have my concerns with this Philly team. I got to be honest. I think, I think they're a little bit overrated. And so personally, I think the Nets won this trade. I like the Seth Curry edition a lot. Drummond, as you said, I mean, I've never been a big Drummond guy, but I think he does fill the role that they kind of needed. So it's a decent pickup for them. And if Ben Simmons can actually start playing, I think he's a perfect fit next to a lineup of Kyrie, Seth Curry, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris. If he comes back, like the amount of shooting and spacing in that team, man, I think it's it a perfect play, it fit for Simmons. Right into, it plays right into Simmons' strength if he plays. Agreed. Uh, agreed 100%. They have a roster that fits Simmons perfectly. It's just, I mean, apparently he's hurt now, but I don't know how he's hurt. He hasn't played all season. When did he get injured? Uh, he probably got injured, like, I don't know, probably at a bar somewhere. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's up with that guy. Something <laughs> There's something a little off with him, I think. But. I think it's, it's so it's just strange to me because you would think, especially in the situation that he was in, even with the Sixers, how much media criticism he was facing, how much kind of weird backhanded backlash he was getting from Embiid saying that the organization was fully in on Simmons and trying to do everything to keep him in the building and wanting him to play. But how as an NBA athlete, are you not more determined to get better and earn your money and actually be a, a usable cog within the machine of your franchise? I just don't, 
it just doesn't make sense to me. And I also just to go back a little bit, I'm not saying in this trade that Harden has been completely terrible because his efficiency has been very good. He's been almost shooting 60% true shooting percentage and he's been averaging a double double since he's been there. And again, six games, a very small sample size, but his performance hasn't been bad. I just don't, I'm not sold on the tandem. I'm not sold on him and Embiid yet. I'm going to see what happens down the stretch. I'm going to give it a proper grade, but I think the combo on paper should be fantastic. There, there should be no better, no better guard big man punch than the two of them, I would argue. But it's just I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen that dominance against good, talented teams yet. As you said, they played fairly middling teams in their wins, and then they got steamrolled by Brooklyn. Like, and I just against contending teams, I don't, I don't know what better indicator than is than than playing Brooklyn. So, I, I don't I think, know. I, yeah, Harden has a tendency to out, like to underperform in big games, and that that Brooklyn Philadelphia game, even though it's just a regular season game, it was a big game. It was a big game, and he looked like just out of it he did not look good at all in that game and that's kind of been the the history with Harden when it comes to the playoffs and that gives me pause for concern like it it does I can't deny it I I think this Philly team against the against the right matchup I have a lot of concerns with them I like even teams like the Cavs or the Celtics that might not be as much top-end talent but are just really good defensively I think they're going to give a team like Philly a lot of problems so there's a lot of teams that I think that can knock out Philly here, especially like Miami or Milwaukee, Brooklyn, if they get at full health. Like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not fully sold on this Philadelphia roster. And it seems like this is a move that is made to win now because future-wise, it's pretty clear. You know, Brooklyn got the younger pieces. They got some draft compensation. So for this trade to be a win for Philly, they need to win now. And I'm not sure that they're ready to do that. Yeah, I could I couldn't have summarized that any better. Um, we're gonna subway really or <laughs> subway. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna eat fresh, eat fresh. We're gonna go to Subway. Uh, we're gonna grab a quick snack and we'll come back. Um, anyways, uh, we're gonna talk about Derek White going to Boston and Josh Richardson going to San Antonio as the marquee players. Uh, so this package was strictly just Derek White to uh, the Boston Celtics, and then San Antonio got Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, a 2022 first round pick, uh, top four protected, and a 2028 first round swap, uh, top one protection. This one, this one's interesting to me for a few reasons. Um, one, the Celtics, the Celtics, although they have a lot of guards, I think this move does make sense down the line. Derek White has been very good for San Antonio over the last few years, and I think, in my opinion, he's one of the more underrated guards in the league. Um, in saying that, I think the package that was given up to get him, I think, was a bit excessive. I think San Antonio got a lot of potential. I mean, two young, two great young players in Josh Richardson and uh, Romeo Langford, I think could possibly go a long way with that team. And also two, two first, two future first round picks next year and a few years down the line, I think is also very good return capital. And I, I don't really know what this move means for the Spurs though. I don't, I don't know what they're going to try to do in the off season. They're not much of a big splash uh, team or franchise in general. So it just, it's surprising that they would trade one of their premier talent like some of the premier talent to get back younger talent it, it makes sense in terms of like i don't know trying to develop your franchise and kind of re reorganize your roster but um unless they make unless they make some kind of splash in the off season i this one's kind of confusing i do think that the spurs win off the package right now but again i don't think we've given enough time still to uh to have Derek white in boston and see what he's really been doing he has been playing well since he's been there um, but I, I just need, I just need more time, much like a few of these other deals. I think, uh, Josh Richardson's a little bit older than you think he is. He's actually 28. Richardson. Yeah. I, I thought he was he's a year older than Derek White. No, I thought he was younger than that. My bad. Misspoke. 
Yeah, I mean, Langford, yeah, Langford looked really good in college and high school, but he hasn't really done much in the NBA. Boston has so many young guards in their, like, development system, like even guys like Yamadar that hasn't really played yet for them at all. Um, Juhan Bagarin is another one. So they've got, they got a lot of those young guys that are coming up anyways. So I don't think it really hurts them that much to lose Langford. He hasn't done much for them. Yeah, 2022 first-round pick and another first-round swap. I don't think the first-round swap really matters that much, especially no. 2028. Yeah. Um, the 2022 first round pick. Yeah. First round pick for Derek White. I don't know if he's quite that much value, especially when you're giving up Richardson and Lane Ford, but I don't hate it either. He's very, very good defensively. And Boston is a team that's built on their defense right now. And he just fits in really nicely with, with the rest of those guys. But yeah, first round pick for him. I don't know how much he really moves the needle and maybe a little bit too much to give up for him, but I don't hate it either. I think this is like a B minus kind of trade to me. For both teams, really, I don't think it really does much for either of them. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it. As you said, I don't think it really sways the needle one way or the other. I think it depends on how you look at the situation. I mean, Boston's getting a key piece that they're going to be able to actively use for the rest of the year and going into the playoffs. And then the Spurs are looking to build in the future, uh, hopefully through a guy like Langford and Josh Richardson's filling a role right now, which is good for them. I think, as you said, the 2022 first round pick, I think, holds a lot of weight. I don't necessarily think that that, along with the package that was given up, is necessarily comparable to Derek White. But for the role that he's going to be playing, I think it makes sense for the Celtics. I think giving up that capital for a push now, I think makes sense considering the roster they have now. And San Antonio is an influx of young talent that they're going to be able to build around for the next few years, including Langford. So I think the move does make sense. I'm going to be interested to see what happens following this year with Derek Wright in that rotation, though. I'm I'm going to be interested to follow that. Yeah, I don't mind it. I just think holding on to that first round pick, I think they could have used it to get something a little bit better at some point maybe package it alongside someone else to, to try to bring in something even better than Derek White. But I don't mind giving up a first-round pick for him. I just think – I don't know if that's enough to really make them true contenders. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like they're, they're still missing a piece, and maybe that first-round pick could have helped get that, that better piece that they would have needed, but I don't know. I guess we will never know, unfortunately. And then uh, the second last of our trades here that I wanted to skim over really quick is that Chris has Porzingis going to Washington and then uh, Spencer Dinwiddie going to Dallas. So Dallas received Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Burton's and Washington uh, received Kristaps Porzingis in a 2022 second round pick. I'll let you start this one off since I kind of took the last one from you when I was supposed to give it to you. So you got it. This is an interesting one. My initial gut reaction when I first heard it was, what are the Mavs doing? Like they could have got more for Porzingis. He's been playing pretty well this season. Why trade him? And then, you know, the more I've thought about it, the more I've kind of come to the realization, well, you know, how much value is Porzingis really going to get you if he plays half the games every season, you know? You kind of need guys that are going to be consistently available. And, I mean, Dinwiddie's had his injury problems too, so I I don't know if that really is a a big deal, but Porzingis wasn't going to be the number two guy for them anyways. So, you know, maybe getting rid of him, clear up some cap space and then work to find someone else for Luca down the line. Luca's still young. They've got time. They're probably not going to be legit contenders this year. Probably not next year either, but there's, there's something brewing there maybe two, three years down the line that I think, I think this could work out for them in the future. Yeah, I think, I think it could too. I, I like this move for the Mavs because they do get a very, very, very competent garden. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie who has been playing well this year. And they also get Davis Burton's who's going to be a good depth guy on their roster for Washington. 
this one's kind of confusing to me because I don't really know what the aim of the trade was. A lot of people are saying maybe like a top, like top end rebuild. A lot of people are kind of considering this a risk considering how injury prone, as you had mentioned, Chris has Porzingis has been. It's kind of hard to estimate his value based on the sample size that we've basically been given every year since he's left the Knicks. I think his offensive upside, I think is really what's the selling point of this trade. I mean, he is an extremely versatile player at his position and how athletic he is. But again, we haven't, we haven't actually seen a full season recently with him. If this is a move to basically keep Beal in Washington and basically instill in him that they're going to attempt to put a roster around them that's going to compete, I don't mind the move. But I, I need to see more than half a season of Porzingis to make that basically true. I don't I don't know how much value he holds, the amount of games that he's been playing. Um, I think, again, the offense is upside it for me as the seller of this trade, and I think is the reason why the Wizards pulled the trigger on this. I just, I, I don't know. I just, this is, this is, this one's kind of like close for me. I don't really think this one's blatantly obvious one way or the other. I, if I had to give a slight edge, I'd probably say the Mavs probably won this just based off of the, the usage Dinwiddie and Burton's are both going to get and the kind of question marks surrounding Porzingis. But if we're talking upside, I definitely think that the future of Washington is bright with Porzingis and Beal there, but it's just whether it just depends what the intention is, like whether or not they're going to keep him long-term alongside Beal or whether they're going to retool with some other assets. I mean, I don't really know. I think it's going to be off season kind of relook at this trade, but I think, I think this one's good for both sides. And it, to be honest, it, I think it's maybe a slight edge to the Mavs right now be, until we see how, how long and how well Porzingis plays this year and next year. Um, yeah. Any, any closing thoughts for you on that one? Yeah. It's interesting how much depth the wizards had this season. Like they, they had like the most depth of any team in the league probably. And they've kind of, been trading some of those guys that were just not getting enough minutes because they have so much depth. Like they got rid of Harrell, they got rid of Dinwiddie as part of this trade and Bertans as well. But like they're still in their in their forwards alone. They've got Porzingis now. They got Kuzma. They got Hachimura. They got Corey Kispert. They got Danny Avdia. Like they have all these guys on this team. Like so much depth. But it's like in terms of actual star talent, you got Beal. I guess Kuzma and Porzingis kind of. But it, there's just this is just kind of a weird roster to me. It's like yeah. they've got so much depth, but not enough top end talent to really be competitive. Yeah. They're, they're in the weird in-between stage where like I was kind of alluding to that earlier because it the intention of the trade is kind of strange because with the influx of forward talent, you would assume that they're looking to retool and possibly move some of that talent for a big star since you're bringing Porzingis into the building. But then the other side of the coin is, are they looking to keep Porzingis long-term or is this going to be basically a value trade for the end of the year and then see what his off-season value is? I don't see I don't see him playing half a year and then being traded somewhere else. I do see him staying in Washington for maybe at least another season or two. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I think Washington, like a lot, of, a lot of other teams in the league, I think are that kind of one or two very impactful pieces away from actually competing. And I, I don't really know where that piece comes. I mean, maybe it's another guard to pair with Beal like they had with John Wall and him before Wall got hurt. Uh, maybe it's a good depth forward. Maybe someone who can play the three defensive versatility kind of role. I just, I, I don't know. The influx of forwards, as you had mentioned, is just kind of strange to me. Their, their rosters assembled very weird. And I think until until that, the, I think until the top end talent of that roster is kind of solidified, I don't really, I don't see this trade being too impactful immediately. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about football at all, but apparently Tom Brady might be coming back. That's, what? I, I don't know. That's what, that's apparently a thing. Uh, yeah, popping, I, I'm just it's reading. popping up all over the news right now. So 
I don't know if we want to get into yeah, that. Why, pretty why big, not? Uh, pretty big deal. Yeah, you know? this is massive news. Uh, <laughs> I don't really believe what I'm reading right now. <laughs> I don't, I don't Brady know, to man. return with the Bucks for 23rd season. Cuts retirement. Fuck! I thought, oh, oh, damn it. I thought the Panthers were finally going to compete in the NFC South, <laughs> and then oh, Darth Vader joins them again. There's no way. He So the quote reads, that time will come, but it's not now. I love my teammates, and I love my supportive family. They make it all possible. I'm coming back for my 23rd season in Tampa, unfinished business, LFG. Holy yeah. my Lord. No way. Well, it's pretty obvious what this means for football. It's pretty like the king is back. The king is back. The, unless the Bucks, for whatever reason, end up losing half of their roster, they're immediately a Super Bowl favorite again. Immediately. And that's just what happens when Tom Brady comes to the building, whether it's his 10th season, his 20th season, or his 23rd season. It doesn't matter. It's still Tom Brady. In saying that, looking at his decision to briefly retire and then come out, I think that was strictly a ploy to see what kind of other QB movement was happening around the league. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it was all smoke. Maybe he was planning on coming back the whole time and he was just giving false hope to the rest of the league. I, this just so, it's so weird. I really thought he was ready to ride off into the sunset. I mean, it's not his ideal ending of course, but I mean, I don't know. I, I thought it was time. I thought it was time. It's uh bizarre i've never seen someone say like basically the reports were initially happened twice he's gonna retire and then like 20 minutes later it's like no not gonna retire and then like a couple days later tom brady retires and then like two weeks later it's like oh no not retired like what the hell is going on like i'm i honestly i don't know what to believe at at this point like i don't know if he's gonna end up retiring still like hey maybe a month from now he'll be like you know what i'm gonna retire so i don't know it's weird. <laughs> I, man, I can't lie. I know they probably weren't going to move forward with him anyway, but God, do I feel bad about, or for Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask got drafted to the Bucks to sit behind Brady and may have, may have been under the pretense that he was going to be getting the reins after Brady left. And now the King's back. So now Trask is going to be riding the bench. I assume it was going to be someone like Jimmy G going there anyway, or maybe uh, Carson Wentz before that deal was made. Um, but I, I don't know. That's just, that's crazy. That is, that is the biggest news of the day. If not the week, if not the month, I, I just, that's so weird. Like he went back on his word twice, denied <laughs> the rumors. And then yeah, said he was retiring. They weren't true. Said he was retiring again. And then not true. It's like the, she loves me. She loves me. Not. He's just picking off the petals on the flower. We'll see where it ends. I damn, that was probably the most unexpected segue. I want, I thought I was going to hear at 7 40 PM on a, on a Sunday yeah that's wow that's crazy uh um i are we done with the uh the trades Do uh yeah want to talk I, about I, the karis levert one well i i'd say we're done with the trades the only one i had actually was the karis levert one pulled up in front of me so cleveland received karis levert and a 2022 second round pick from miami and indiana received ricky rubio 2022 first round pick which was lottery protected 2022 second round pick and a 2027 second round pick this trade would look a lot better if Karis LeVert wasn't currently injured. And it's unfortunate because when healthy, he is a great, great player. And honestly was very, very pivotal to the pre-success of, of the Pacers while he was there. I, 
I don't know. It's they got a lot. Indiana got a lot of capital back for giving up Karis Levert, Ricky Rubio as well. Yeah, but he's out for the season. I think he's I think he's a free agent this year too. So I think he was kind of just thrown in for cap reasons. So Ooh, I wouldn't yeah. even really count him. Rubio, yeah. Yeah, and three draft picks, I think is a fair exchange. I mean, given they gave up a second round pick back, I really only consider it a first round pick and a second round pick in 2027. For an expiring contract, I don't mind it. And the 2022 first round pick is also lottery protected. So that'll be good value for Indiana to possibly get somewhat of a replacement back. Yeah, I I think this has to be a win for Indiana. I mean, making the most of of the assets they had, a guy who actually ended up getting hurt, as we had mentioned. Yeah, I, I think this high, this has to be an Indiana win for me. I mean, the cap, the cap match in Rubio isn't great that you had to take his contract on, but... I, I don't know. I, I, I this one's kind of, it was an expiring contract. They got what they could back. I really can't argue with it. I think Indiana, unless the Cavs want to re-sign Levert and build around them, then I, I see this being a win for Indiana. It's unfortunate that Levert has been injured quite a few times already in his career. It, it just seems like that might be the way his career is going, that he's just going to keep getting hurt, which I hope isn't the case because he's been fantastic when he is healthy. And I think on paper, it, it is a good trade for the Cavs. This is a team that was, you know, that still is in playoff contention. Adding someone like Levert to to ease the burden off Darius Garland a little bit, especially with Sexton already injured. I mean, that team has just been throttled by injuries this season. It's really unfortunate because yeah. they've been they've been looking really good despite all that. I mean, Jared Allen is now hurt as well. Obviously, we mentioned Rubio was out, but at the time they traded him. So like they've just been getting <laughs> shredded by injuries all year. Yeah. Um, it's really unfortunate, but I still think this is a, a fair trade for them, especially if Levert can come back and be healthy. It's just, you know, a matter of whether or not that's going to happen, really. Yeah, if he if he plays, I think this one definitely swings the needle to, towards it being more fair. And especially Rubio being out, I think I think the potential of Levert coming back since he hasn't been ruled out, I think is promising. I give again, I gave the slight edge strictly the draft capital involved in the trade. But aside from that, I mean, I, I love Levert, as you mentioned. He's been great when he's been healthy. That's just that's the problem when he's healthy. I don't know. I, I hope the best. I hope his career, as you said, doesn't go like that. But unfortunately, that's what the trend's going. And pass out. Well, I guess we'll keep it uh, We'll keep it somewhat Cavs-centric. We're going to move on to some NBA, current NBA standings and where we see us playing out in the next, what is it? It's 15 games left in the year, 14 for some teams. Yeah, I guess so. That's yeah, basically. 69 games, so 15. Yeah, time has flown by okay yeah yeah it's a while since we've done one of these <laughs> yeah it has so i guess we'll we'll talk about it briefly i mean most i would say at least the eastern conference for the most part aside from some top down like some top towards bottom movement has been fairly the same like most teams have hung around i know the raptors were in 10th the last time we did this i think or 11th and they've shot up to seventh. the nets have had a serious slide since they were at the top of the conference um the celtics i think did they? I think they came up a few spots. The Bulls were the lead in the conference last time we did this. Um, and then the rest of it, I think, was pretty chalk. And then, I mean, the Western Conference side was more of the same. Uh, the Grizzlies, I think, are one of the only teams that really shot up. They were between, I think, seven and nine the last time we did this, and the Lakers were a lot higher. Nah, the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies have been top four all season. I think they were fourth last time we did it. Oh, four? Okay. Yeah, so a bit higher than I had, uh, I had approximated there, but... We'll talk about it briefly. So one through eight right now in the East, we'll, we'll start with the East. So one, of course, is the Heat. Two is the Bucks. Three is the 76ers. Four is the Bulls. Five is the Celtics. Six is the Cavs. Seven is the Raptors. And eight is the Nets. Uh, the bubble right now for nine through 12 is the Hornets, the Hawks, the Wizards, and the Knicks in that order. We'll start, I guess, first with possible movement down the stretch and uh, maybe some streaky play we could see down the stretch, maybe bolstering some teams and maybe hindering some others. What 
if there was a team, I'll say outside the top four, because the top four, I think will basically be interchangeable for the rest of the year, including the Celtics maybe as well. Aside, we'll say outside the top five, six through, who do you see finishing six through eight? Outside yeah, I was just about to say, when you said top four, I was about to say, I'll, I'll bump the Celtics up. I, I think they've been outstanding yeah. lately, but if you're going to throw them into that top five group, I feel like the Cavs are going to keep sliding. And it's it's no fault of their own, really. They just have too many injuries. They're three and seven in their last 10. They've lost two in a row. Still going to be competitive. They're still a solid team. I just think there's just too many injuries there. I think Brooklyn's going to start contending again. They've been much better since Durant came back. Obviously, they've won three in a row now. So I think they're going to bump up a little bit. Raptors have looked good lately too. Like the Raptors are playing really well. So I think the Cavs could slide all the way down to like eight, which is unfortunate because they were, they were doing so well at the start of the year. It's just, there's only so much you can do when pretty much everyone on your team gets injured, but it's unfortunate. I think honestly, looking at our top 10 right now, I think this is going to stay the top 10. I don't see Wizards or Knicks sliding into that play-in tournament. I think, no, I. I think the Hawks and Hornets have it pretty much locked up unless they just really falter down the stretch, but I don't think that's very likely. So it looks like we've got our 10 teams, and I got to say, this is the best East has looked in a while. It's a very, very competitive 10 group of teams that are in the playoff contention. Yeah, it's definitely a very widespread of talent for the most part, I think. And especially, I'm surprised to see the Hawks at 10 as well. I know they had a bit of injury trouble uh, midway through the season, I think somewhat games through 40 to 50. Um, but aside from that, like they haven't looked bad lately. I mean, six of four and they, they won the other night. Um, the problem is, is I, if they get into this play and depending on who they play, I don't, I don't really know who they would beat in the play. And I don't think, I don't think as the 10 there, I don't think they really beat anyone ahead of them unless they happen to play the Cavs. Yes. Yeah, I think their best scenario is the Cavs fall down a little bit and then they beat the Hornets and then beat the Cavs. I think that's their, their best chance of getting in probably. Yeah, I agree. In saying that, I think, as I said, I think the top four or five are fairly anchored. I don't really, unless the Raptors go on an unbelievable run in the last. Or the Nets, games. but the Nets, or the Nets, the Nets are the Nets. six games back though. It would take, it would take a lot. Yeah. The, Nets, to get the there. Nets would have to have an unbelievable stretch down for the rest of the season. They'd probably have to go like 10 and four at least and hope that one of the teams in the top five slides in saying that I, I think my favorite, like my favorite, I hate to go top heavy here, but the Heat have looked way too good to bet against right now. And Oladipo got back. It's going to be big for their defensive versatility. Given he stays healthy. I hope he stays healthy. He was out for time. The Bucks have also looked really good. The 76ers at flashes of greatness have also had severe flashes of dysfunction and weird basketball. The Bulls, again, Caruso came back from injury. They're back to pretty much full health. I don't know what their IR situation is looking like, but I am also a big fan of the Bulls. Celtics, the same thing. They've been really good, and they got Derek White, who's going to be doing a lot for them. Who Who's your Eastern Conference final as of right now, then, if the season were to end today and the playoffs were to shake out with our one through eight that we have here? And, okay. If this is how the standings are, then the Bucks and Sixers would have to face each other in second round. I would say Bucks. I think I got to go with the Bucks winning that. Whew, man, I want to say the Heat, but I think the Nets. I think the Nets are are better than the Heat. I think. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. The Nets are the Nets are the biggest question mark probably in the whole conference, especially with the Ben Simmons thing. Like we don't know what's going on with him really, but I think I think I'm saying Bucks and Nets would be my conference finals prediction. 
I think I'm going to take the Bucks to win the East. I think that would be my pick. I'm not going to switch it up too much. I think the Bucks are going to be there. I think the Bucks will beat the 76ers. Again, like you mentioned, the question mark of the Nets, it's it's giving me the same choice, really. If it stays the way it is now, I think that a seven-game series of the Heat and the Nets could be very indicative of who will win the East. At the, at the way they're playing now, I think with the Nets trending up, I would definitely say it would be a deep series, but I do think that the, the Nets would really get tested by the Heat. Oh, it's so hard to pick. I'm going to go Bucks Heat. Bucks Heat final. I think I think it's although it is fairly chalk, it's so hard for me to bet against the Heat right now with how good they've looked. And they are, they are also the best road team in the conference by a three game loss margin at least. So I they've been they've been great. I don't I don't know. It's just so hard for me to bet against the Heat right now. Um, but again, all credit to the Nets if they make a rise and shock the world, which really they do have the capability to do with how talented their roster is and KD's back. I think for me personally, I think one team that could definitely surprise people and not even to be a hometown bias homer, but I think the Raptors, the Raptors could make a little bit of a push. I think if they don't, as long as they don't end up being matched up with the Bucks in the first round, then I think we're kind of boned if we play the Bucks. if I'm being honest. But if we manage to squeeze into six and the Cavs slide and we play the Sixers, I think that we give them a run. Although we don't really have... I think Embiid would basically just be able to do what he wants. But in terms of our perimeter defense that we have on the team, I think we could find a way to neutralize Harden or at least diminish his efficiency. Yeah, and that, that'd be pretty much it. I think I have Heat Bucks final uh, in the East, and I would also take the Bucks in that matchup as well. I think the honest factor just kind of speaks for itself there. I mean, league MVP candidate, but he's also been having, again, one of the best seasons of his career. I mean, I feel like we say that every year, but he's been playing great. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I'll, uh, I'll let you take the reins on the West unless you have anything to say in the East. Uh, no, nothing that we haven't really covered yet. Maybe just point out that the Bulls Bulls are going to be competitive now that Cruz is back. He looked fantastic in his uh, his game back yesterday. And their defense is so much better when he plays. Like, it's night and day. Um, and obviously, when Lonzo comes back, that's going to help too. And I also want to mention the Celtics, man. The Celtics have looked phenomenal since, like, since January. Like, this team has been playing so good defensively. They're the best defense in the league over the past, like, three months. Um, they're going to be dangerous. They're a really, really strong team. And I think they're a team that a lot of people aren't taking seriously enough. Like they're, they're going to be a tough team to be in a seven game series. So watch out for the Celtics. They're, they're a contender heading into the West. Now. I mean, obviously the Suns have a pretty big lead in that number one seed. Chris Paul's injured right now, which is definitely going to come down the stretch, but Cameron has stepped up and he's played pretty well. They've got, they've got a really solid roster and game lead right now on the Grizzlies for first. It seems pretty likely they're going to lock up that number one seed. So I still really like their chances. Once Chris Paul cuts back, they're, they're legit contenders. We obviously got the Grizzlies and Warriors are now tied for second. And uh, the Jazz and Mavs are tied for fourth. The Nuggets in sixth. T-Wolves seven. Clippers in eight. The Lakers are somehow ninth only. I don't know what's going on with that team. Uh, we're probably going to get into that. And it looks like it's going to be a race between the Pelicans, Spurs, and Trailblazers, most likely, for that 10th spot. I think it's going to be the Pelicans that get it, though. How do you feel about that? I think it's going to be the Pelicans as well, if I had to pick one. Um, that's the team that's standing out to me. I think uh, with CJ getting in that in their team as well, I think that gives them an immediate boost. He's been playing great since he's been there. In saying that, another team, another team besides the Pelicans, I could see maybe making a late-season push. 
uh, is the Denver Nuggets. I mean, strictly on the back of how good Jokic has been playing, but also there's a lot of news surrounding Jamal Murray's return. It is right now 50-50, but a lot of their uh, internal team doctors have been saying he's been progressing very well and ahead of schedule. So if he comes back, I think that immediately bolsters the Nuggets to being a lot higher potentially in the strength of the Western Conference going to the playoffs than they are now. I look at a team like the Lakers too, and it's just, it's so strange to see them so low. Like, yes, they have been playing awful basketball recently, but if they could somehow get past the play-in, I still don't think they beat the Suns. But for some, I think it is still the LeBron factor. Like, I still think LeBron in the playoffs is just still so scary. And I I know that the Suns have been playing unbelievable this year with and without Chris Paul. But if Chris Paul is healthy, of course, I think this makes it a whole different series. But even the Lakers sitting that low doesn't sit well with me. I know they are a better team than what their, what their rocket record is right now of 29 and 37. They've just been playing so bad lately. They've been playing so bad. And I just, I, I'm trying to give them credit, but I, I honestly think in a play-in game against the Pelicans, I could genuinely see the Pelicans beating them. Yeah, it feels like every time we do this podcast, we kind of defend the Lakers. It's like, well, you know, once AD gets healthy, you know, once it's playoffs, they're going to play better. And you know what? I'm kind of, I'm kind of done defending them. <laughs> the more yeah. I watch them, the more I kind of realize this team just sucks. They just don't move at all. They have way too many old guys. They don't play defense. There's like no off-ball movement. It's basically LeBron and Malik Monk carrying the offense. Westbrook has been atrocious this year in yeah. terms of his fit on that roster, which is it's kind of expected, but like not to the extent that it has been. And I, I really feel like they're just misutilizing him. It feels like they they have a really terrible roster for him because of the fact that they've got all these old guys. They don't have a lot of spacing. They don't have a lot of movement. It feels like Westbrook would be better suited kind of coming off the bench, running the offense when LeBron sits. But to do that, you need guys next to him that can shoot and space the floor, and they just don't really have that. So it's just a bad roster for him in general. He doesn't play well off the ball, so he doesn't fit really good next to LeBron. And they don't have the kind of guys that he needs to excel as a playmaker really either. So it's just like the worst possible fit for Westbrook. And then the team in general is not really playing defense. And offensively, they've been fine, but this is just not a very good team. And, you know, there's only so much a healthy Anthony Davis can change. I don't even know if we can rely on a healthy Anthony Davis. When's the last time we've seen well, a legitimately I was healthy just to say Anthony that. Davis for more than like a month? Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say we get, we get a healthy Anthony Davis back for like three or four weeks. And then for some reason, he's out with a fractured toe for another, basically the same amount of time. And it's just, I, I just don't know at what point we get off the train of hoping Anthony Davis plays a full season and then realizing that he's really never going to play a full season again. And I don't, I don't want to be a pessimist here because Anthony Davis, I think, in his prime is one of the greatest forwards of all time. But it's so hard to give him that same credit when he's not playing. And it's, it's hard because he has been bit by the injury bug basically the latter half of his career. Again, it's, it's much like the Lakers. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he can come back and play a full season. But until I see somewhat close to it, I can't say it. And I just, I don't know. It, it's, it pains me to see because the potential of the Lakers is a, is a lot higher than what they're showing right now. And I agree. I do think that Westbrook in some forms is a bit misutilized. I also don't think that he's the type of player to come off the bench. I don't think that his, his mental could handle that. I don't, I think he's too proud to come off the bench. If I'm being honest, I think fit wise, it does make the most sense. I don't know. I, I think a better, a better destination for him is definitely something he needs. I don't really know where that destination is. If I'm being honest, I think that we're definitely going to see a lot of offseason movement from the Lakers because as you said, they're just, they're too old. There's no, there's no movement. The offense is just stagnant. It's, it's weird mismatching pick and rolls and exploiting, like basically just exploiting mismatches. It's not, it's not actual fluent basketball. It's not like they're running plays. It's like, 
taking turns playing ISO, weird mismatches on screens, and then taking advantage in transition. And it's really what we've seen all year. And it's, it pains me because there's so much potential on that roster. They're just too old. Yeah. Too many old guys. They did a really terrible job of building that team out this year. Like, I don't know what they were thinking. It was, it was really dumb. Like, if you're going to bring in Westbrook, then you got to bring in guys that are going to be compatible with the style of play that he has. And that's not Carmelo Anthony or Trevor Reza or 38-year-old Dwight Howard. <laughs> like, no. Those aren't the guys you want on your roster if you're going to build around LeBron and Russell Westbrook. And obviously, a healthy Anthony Davis would have helped a lot, I think. It would have made a huge difference. Yeah. But this team has a lot of problems. And it's not great when Malik Monk is basically your second best player for most of the year. Yeah. And it also it also is very indicative of how poorly they're playing when the 37-year-old LeBron has to drop 56 points for them to win by like eight. It's just it's it's so weird to me that they're still relying on him to be that. And I'm not saying he's not that guy anymore, but it's just when he has to drop 56 points to win by like eight, it's just it's so remarkable to me that nobody else can carry weight on that team. And again, it has a lot to do with the way it's built. I don't disagree. And Malik Monk, to be honest, has been really good for them this year. And I've been really happy to see how well he's been playing, given the opportunity. But that team is just, I, I think, too dysfunctional to give them any any more credit, as you had mentioned. And I genuinely think that they lose to the Pelicans if they end up facing them in the play in. Um, yeah, how, do you, how do you see the scope of the West playing out now that we're here? I know there's much like the East, there's a lot of teams that can contend and a lot of teams that could really upset other teams. What, uh, what do you think? I think this is a very competitive West again. I think it's, it's very deep, man. Minnesota even is playing really well lately. Like they're, they're kind of a dark horse and you know, a healthy Denver nuggets is going to be Clay, scary if they, get, well too. if they can get those guys back. Yeah. Uh, if, I mean, imagine if Paul George comes back. I don't think, I think Kawhi is pretty much guaranteed not coming back at this point. Yeah. But I think Paul George is still in question. So that there's another team that's potentially dangerous. Um, and obviously I don't want to fully count up the Lakers either. So this is a, this is a conference that has like nine teams that, that could make a run here pretty much. Um, for me, I, I still think it's probably going to come down to the Suns or the Warriors. Those are the two teams that I was most high on for most of the season and the Warriors haven't been as good lately, but once Draymond comes back, I, I really think they're going to perform better. He's, he's really just the engine that makes that defense tick. And I think they were like 23 and eight or something when he played this season, like it makes a huge difference having him out there. So once he comes back, I think they're going to be really dangerous. I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a close, like competitive, like stretch of series this year. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of, six game, seven game series. I'm, I'm probably leaning towards the Suns Warriors conference finals. And I, I think I, I'm going to go with the Warriors as my West pick. I think they're, they're a dangerous team once they're fully healthy. Yeah. I cannot hate the Warriors pick either. I mean, since Clay's been come back, I mean, we're seeing the old Warriors again. And uh, of course, Clay's not playing up to hundred percent. I'm not expecting him to right away, but he's been a great lift to that team since Draymond's been out, as you mentioned. It is really hard for me to bet against the Warriors. I think that that is a team going to the playoffs that really anybody who plays against them will have to be scared and justifiably so. I look at a team like the Mavs, and the Mavs playing the Jazz, I think could line them up for a deep run. Do I think that Luka basically on his own is enough? Not necessarily. And aside, aside from that, I mean, the rest of the conference, as you said, like everybody's hot. Everybody, aside from the Lakers, everybody in the top eight is fairly hot right now. I mean, yeah, the Warriors are four and six in their last 10, but aside from that, they've won three in a row. Yeah, this one's hard. For playing it as it is now, I would probably go, my finals would be, 
They say I I can't even. It's 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 the toughest it's been in a while. I think it, this is the most wide like, open we've seen in about, quite a few years. Yeah, and then you neglect you you choose. Let's say I choose like the Suns and Warriors. You're neglecting teams like the Grizzlies and Jazz, who've been both been playing great, and Jaw's been electric this year. Damn, <laughs> damn, this is hard. You know what? I I gotta go Suns Warriors Suns Warriors West Final, and I'm gonna give it to I'm gonna give it to Suns. I have the utmost respect for the Warriors. They've been playing great this year. Curry's hit. And I'm crazy amount of milestones this year. Clay's been great with since he's been back. Draymond coming back will be big for them. But I mean, the Suns have a stranglehold on the West, and they've had a stranglehold on the West for the last few months. I just don't really see them slowing down, especially if Chris Paul returns fully healthy. I'd give the edge to the Suns. I think they'd take it in six, and then that would set up for me a Bucks Suns final, and you'd have a Bucks Warriors final. I I'm taking the Bucks in seven in that. I love the Suns, and I love what they've been doing this year. They've been the the best team in basketball, in my opinion. I just, we're seeing what the Giannis effect does in these series. And he really, he transcends his stats. And I just, I don't know. There aren't many guys in the league who really have that kind of two-way impact. I don't know. I, I got to give the, I got to give the edge to the, got to give the edge to the Bucks and Bucks in seven for me. And of course, Giannis would be the finals MVP in that. Yeah. I mean, I think Phoenix in general has kind of struggled against Giannis the past few years. We obviously saw that in the finals last year, Giannis kind of just erupted and he, he came into the series hurt. He didn't have the best first couple games, but he played well. And then once, like once he really started getting his groove, like it was over. So I agree. I think if that matchup happens, which I think is a very real possibility, I would also lean to the Bucks. Bucks Warriors though gives me a little bit more concern for Milwaukee. I think I think the Warriors have a roster that could pose some issues to the Bucks. I think you throw uh, you can throw Looney or Draymond on Giannis just to give him some size I, I think even throwing Looney on him might be better and have uh, Draymond kind of come in as a help defender more I think defensively that that can pose a lot of problems for the Bucks from a defensive standpoint Milwaukee's biggest weakness is that they kind of give up a lot of threes and you know the Warriors aren't really the team you want to give up a lot of threes on no <laughs> they're a team that can bury those threes so yeah they have I think they have the a Warriors few, are a, a dangerous opponent shooters. for them yeah a couple guys that can shoot it a little bit yeah. So I think uh, I think a Warriors Bucks matchup. I would probably lean towards the Warriors in six. I, again, I don't mind that pick. I think if that were to work out, I think it would be a very very hotly contested series. But exactly like you said, I think with with the only real defensive glaring weakness being their three pointers allowed and the amount of points they're allowing off three pointers. I mean, there are, there's I I would say no other team in basketball you'd rather not have taking that many three pointers than the Warriors. Of course, like you said, we'll give right now since we kind of have our finals. So. You have, you have the Warriors winning if they play the Bucks. I have the Bucks playing if they are winning if they play the Suns. Let's each go through the conferences. One dark horse that you think could legitimately make a deep run. We'll say outside the top five of each conference to make it interesting. Okay. I think there's a very high likelihood Murray and MPJ both come back. I think the, with the way Jokic has been playing this year, if they can get like Jamal Murray at even like 80% and MPJ at like 80%, like that's going to be a dangerous team and i think they're they're really strong dark horse because of the fact that they've been playing with their second third best player injured all season and still been competitive so you know who knows what's going to happen once they're they're fully healthy but that's that's a really dangerous team and the east boston's at a 5c right now hmm. i gotta pick someone else oh, okay well that, actually you know what that's pretty easy i gotta go with the nets they're the 8c right now i feel like for a dark horse, you know, it, it kind of, it, it feels weird to even call them a dark horse, but they are the eight seed right now. I don't see how you could pick anyone other than the Nets. Like theoretically, the potential of that roster is so strong 
I got to say, like, they're definitely a team that can make a run. I think that's kind of, that kind of goes without saying. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I have the exact same picks <laughs> for the exact same reasons. I mean, Jamal Murray's a 50-50 comeback. MPJ slated to come back end of this year or uh, late, late in the regular season this year, if not the playoffs. And then the Nets sitting at eight, I feel like it's just kind of cherry picking a team that's down there that really should not be down there. And yeah, again, for the same reasons, I mean, the Nets, of course, like very, very glaringly could make a deep run because of how much talent they have on that team. And for the same reason, MPJ and Jamal Murray coming back just opens up so many folds of that offense. And especially with Jokic playing as well as he can, I mean, facilitating two, two arguable superstars back on that team. I mean, that's, that's scary, especially sitting middle of the conference. Like that's so scary for high teams. And I guess moving, moving on swiftly from that, the only thing that we really wanted to kind of catch you guys back up on is our uh, updated award race. We hadn't really given this much attention earlier in the year, of course, because we unfortunately were both busy, very preoccupied with school. But in saying that, I there hasn't been too much movement for certain awards, but other awards, there have definitely been a lot of candidates to come out of the woodwork. I think obviously, I think we want to start with probably the most evident and obvious winner, and this one may get a bit of flack from some people. We're going to start with the MVP award, of course. You think um, that's the most obvious winner? I, I'd say it's one of them. I think, I think six man of the year has to be the most obvious. I feel like Tyler Hero is a lock. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Hero Hero's definitely Hero's definitely my my six man of the year. Um, but I mean, if you're looking strictly at statistics and what they're doing this year, I think that Jokic should be your clear MVP. And there's arguments I, for Joel Embiid. There's arguments for Giannis. Don't get me wrong. Embiid has been playing very well, and Giannis again has been playing very well, and he's very crucial to his team. But when you're almost shooting 58% on 26 points, 35% from three, 13, almost 14 rebounds a game, eight assists, almost a steal and a half and almost a block a game. That's just, that's like a 2K stat line. I just don't, it's so crazy to me. Jokic is just progressively getting better and better. And I just, I don't know how you stop him, especially with all those weapons around him that are missing, how well he's playing without them. I couldn't imagine with a full strength Denver team, like his stats would only get better. And I assume, yeah. yes, his touches would go down with more talent on the roster. And I can recognize that, but I still, I, he's just been playing so well. And especially he's been consistent all year. He hasn't really floundered in my opinion. I know we've talked about this, but I, uh, I'll let you give your uh, answer for MVP as well. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to MVP, what the MVP is supposed to be is who is the most valuable player to their team. And I think there is absolutely no question to me that Nikola Jokic is the most valuable to his team. That team is garbage <laughs> i'm telling you i've watched the nuggets play so many times if you took Jokic off that roster they'd be a bottom two or three team in the league they are not good at all and they are 40 and 28 right now because Jokic is literally carrying their offense while also being by far the best defender he's ever been like he's actually good on defense now he's legitimately like holding like he's been pretty good for them on defense like he's clearly above average now yeah. and offensively i think he's unquestionably the best player in the league offensively right now I don't think it's even a debate and I know some people might say Durant or Steph but nobody does as much as Jokic does in terms of he, he can space the floor he can set screens he can play make for others he's super efficient probably the second best or best post score in the league he grabs offensive boards like nobody <laughs> like there's there's no weakness offensively for Jokic and that team has like nobody besides them and yet their offense is still good because of him he's yeah. just he draws so much attention from the defense and you literally you can't afford to double team him but you also have to double team there's no way to stop him because he will body anyone one-on-one -on -one basically and if the other guy is strong enough to defend him you know what he'll just 
fade away and do a Dirk fade away on you and hit it. Like he's just unstoppable one-on-one, but you can't double team him because he's probably the best passer in the league. He's like an <laughs> offensive cheat code. He, he is the MVP for me. Yeah. It's basically like picking your poison. It's like, do you want him to drop 40 on you or do you want him to just throw 15 assists in a game? Like it's, yeah. it's really, you neutralize him in one way, but you can't really stop him. And yes, you can make the argument. He hasn't been the most efficient from three as of late. I think he's only shooting 28, 29% in the last two or three weeks from three In saying that almost shooting 35% on the year from three, even with those struggles on almost 58% from the field. Like that's just, and for a player of how many touches he gets, he's, he's the only guy on that roster basically. And it's just, I don't know. It's just so glaring to me. I, as good as Giannis and Embiid have been playing, I mean, I feel like this should be an obvious choice for many. And again, I can respect other choices, but for me, it's, it's gotta be, uh, it's gotta be uh, Jokic for me. I agree. And I feel like it's so bizarre to me that people keep, like I see some people making the case for Giannis and Embiid because they're like, oh, well the Bucks are a two seed and the Sixers are a three seed. And the Sixers have the same amount of wins as the Nuggets. Like, who cares that the Nuggets are a six seed? They're, they both have 40 wins. Like, what's the difference? There's no like, difference. Look at the roster that the Sixers have. And I, I seriously, like, if you take Jokic and Embiid off and ask me to draft five players from those two teams, I'm probably taking five players from the Sixers before I take anyone from the Nuggets. Like, that's just yeah. the reality of it. The Sixers are just a much better team. And it's the same with the Bucs. Like, nobody has had a greater impact on their team than Jokic this season. Yeah, you are not wrong there at all. And um, I guess I'll, I'll let you move on. What award what do you want to take it to next? Well, we already said six man of the year. I feel like it's Tyler Hero. I don't think there's there's really that much room for debate there. So we can move it along past that. Well, rookie yeah. of the year. Do you want to you want to just go on to rookie of the year? Yeah, we'll do rookie of the year. And I haven't even heard your answer, but I feel like we're going to have the same answer. So I'll let you go first this time. I, I would like to hear your answer first. Yeah, if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I don't, I don't mind at all. I appreciate you asking though. Um, so this pick for me is uh, very. It's interesting because I think there are a few other very fitting candidates, but I think considering how much this team has been through this year and how much of a key cog he has been, my pick has to be Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley has been fantastic the entire year. He's been a huge lift to the team since a lot of their other talents been hurt. Um, I mean, just, just to run through, he's shooting 50%. He's almost shooting 70% from the line, which for a big man average is pretty great. He's averaging eight, 8.3 total rebounds, 2.6 assists, uh, almost one steal and almost two blocks. Uh, he's sitting at 0.8 and 1.7 respectively and averaging 15 points a game. I feel like there's not much to be said. I mean, with how many players on that roster have been hurt, aside aside from Garland, uh, alleviating a lot of that weight, I think a lot of credit has to be given to Mobley for them still sitting within the top six of the Eastern Conference. Um, he's been he's been massive since everybody's been hurt. And I can't talk about it enough, but for to have that kind of impact as a rookie, um, I feel like cannot be underplayed. And especially considering he's been shooting a lot better from three lately as well. So if he could get a bit more consistent from three, that gets very scary in Cleveland. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much it. I, there's not much more I could say on on that note. Who who do you got? I got Mobley. Mobley is the correct answer. <laughs> You're gonna hear people argue for Barnes and for Cade Cunningham, and they've been great. Franz has been great also. Josh Giddy's been great. Like it's been a really strong rookie class. But man, Evan Mobley is legitimately like a top 10 defender in the league this year. And I can't stress enough how much of a gap that is between him and everyone else defensively. Well, offensively, they're all like, you know, pretty even. You might, you might slightly prefer Barnes or Cunningham on offense, but man, like Mobley's defense is so good. It, it just for me, like it makes it like not much of a contest. I don't see how you could argue that anyone else has had a greater impact than Evan Mobley. I mean, look at that Cavs roster. It's, it's pretty much the same roster they had last year, yet they're so much better. And a large part of that is due to the fact that Mobley has just turned them into a defensive juggernaut. 
and it's it's not solely on him. You know, Jared Allen has been great. Isaac Okoro has been great. Like they have a lot of good defensive weapons, but Mobley is is a legit defensive player of the year candidate for me. Like somewhere in that kind of like seven to ten range. And I mean, that's just something that you can't really say about any other rookie in in a long time. So to me, he's got to be the rookie of the year. Yeah, I I don't argue with that at all. And the thing is, I, again, there are cases to be made for Barnes. There are cases to be made for Cunningham. But I don't think either of them have had as much value for their individual teams, especially considering the scope of the Cavs, than Mobley. I'll take the next one here, uh, Defensive Player of the Year. This one, this one could go a bunch of different ways. As much as I hate to do it again, the Defensive Player of the Year, in my mind, is Rudy Gobert. Again, it's so it's so hard to pick him for the fourth time. He would be one of the only players to win four. And especially in as quick succession as he has, it's hard, It's so hard to look past. It's so hard to look past his defensive impact. There's very few in the league, if any, that do the job that Rudy Gobert does on a night in night out basis. And I just, and he's shooting, like he's shooting 71% from the field too, not even to make it about his offensive stats, but he's having the most efficient year he's had of his career. I just, he's playing so great this year. And I just averaging under one steal, 2.2 blocks a game. Just there's there's nothing that I could say now that I didn't say last year or I didn't say in his previous two wins. But I just I know I know that people are gonna like complain about possible voter fatigue and voting for the same guy so many times. But you can't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And he's just there's nothing that he's done differently this year that doesn't justify him not winning or that justifies him not winning. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't win because of voter fatigue. Yeah, but I, I'm I had to agree with you. I think. To me, it was really a two-man race between him and Draymond. And then Draymond got hurt like halfway through the season. He hasn't played for the last 30 games. So I just don't really see how you could make the case for anyone else. Like, I mean, even like guys like Jared Allen was someone that was kind of high on my my radar. He missed a bunch of games. Bam out of bio missed a bunch of games. Like it feels like no everyone has like just something against their resume that Rudy just doesn't have. Like I just don't see how you could really make the case for anyone aside from him. And I know I've heard Giannis get mentioned a lot which I don't fully understand. Like Giannis, like the Bucks' defense has been worse this year than it's been over the past few years. It seems like defensively, like it's not, it hasn't been Giannis' best season defensively. And that's not, not a knock on him. He's a great defender, but I just don't think he, like defensive player of the year award for this season. It just doesn't feel like this should be Giannis's award. Like I, I got to go with Gobert again. I, I don't like to vote for him again. Yeah. But I think he's been the best defender in the league this year, aside from maybe Draymond, but Draymond's missed like half the season. I just don't see how you could you could vote for him after that. So to me, it's got to be Gobert. Yeah. And again, like like you mentioned and like I mentioned, yes, voter fatigue will most likely come into play for this award. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't win it. But it, it really, for me, it is deserved. I mean, for a four-time winner, I think he definitely fits the bill. I think coach of the year has a bunch of different avenues you could take. My gut instinct, especially throughout the majority of the season early on, was J.B. Bickenstaff for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And even with everyone who's been hurt, I could still argue that. For me, my pick is Taylor Jenkins of the Memphis Grizzlies. Made such a fantastic jump this year. He's their second in the West. He's made so many good personnel decisions to put the right players in place to succeed. And they just, they've been so hot. I just... It's it's hard as good as much as I want to pick Bickenstaff for the work he continues to do to keep them in contention. I just it's so hard to look past the impact of what Taylor Jenkins has done for the Grizzlies. And he's been he's been great. Even to Jaw too. Jaw's even come out and said he's been a great mentor to him and had a full faith in him to take the reins in the offense. And I just I I gotta give credit to him. I gotta I gotta give uh, Taylor Jenkins his flowers for me. Yeah, I got my fingers crossed on Taylor Jenkins because about a month and a half ago I placed a five dollar bet on him winning it. 
And if he wins, I get 40 bucks. So hey, you know, there you go. I'm, I'm hoping he, he can win it, but I kind of agree. I think, I think you look at the fact that the Grizzlies have the second best record in the league this season. And obviously it's, it's really hard to, to vote for a coach of the year. It's hard to know what goes on behind the scenes and everything like that. But, you know, you look at the talent on the Grizzlies and yeah, they're a good team, but coming into this season, I don't think anyone expected them to be this good. And to no. me, that's, that's indicative of a good coach. You know, it's really hard to, to vote for someone for coach of the year when we don't know exactly everything that's going on. I think Monty Williams would be a really good pick. Obviously the Suns have the best record. I think Steve Kerr would be a good pick. They've, they've overcome a lot of injuries and are still very competitive. I think Eric Spolstra would be a great pick for what he's done for the heat. The fact that he's never won one is kind of, it kind of hurts. Jar- because, it is jarring to me. Yeah, he's such a great coach. But I don't know, for this year particularly, I feel like Taylor Jenkins, to me, is the front runner now. And I agree, J.B. Bickerstaff, for a lot of the season, was a guy that I was very high on. The Cavs are kind of faltered lately. Not really for, like, no fault of his own. Like, they just have so many injuries. But I just feel like right now they're the sixth seed. They're probably going to drop down to, like, the seven or eight seed. I don't know how you could really vote for someone that, that their team is only, like, the eight seed to win coach of the year. So I'm with you. I think Taylor Jenkins should be viewed as the front runner right now. And that's, that's who I'm hoping wins. <laughs> well, this is, this is, it's very similar to the discussion we had about Nate McMillan last year, where he was a guy who came into a new organization. We didn't really expect the impact he had and the Hawks were so good. And I feel like a lot of the same thing happens with Taylor Jenkins, where yes, as you said, they weren't necessarily expected to be there, but the talent alone on paper can't necessarily carry you from a projection. So I wouldn't say so mediocre in the conference because they were projected somewhere between five and nine for most people, but to have them as the second best record in the West and second best record overall in the league, it's exactly like you said, it's very indicative of a good coach. And of course we don't have cameras falling around 24 seven, but we don't see it and we don't see his full impact. But when you have multiple players on the franchise praising him for the work he's done this year, especially someone as young as jaw, who's came out and adamantly said that he's felt more confident this year than he has any other year that he's played and, and, and outside of professional basketball too. I just, I don't know. It's so it's very indicative of a very player friendly coach who's also just very smart and knows what to do to win. And he's been he's been great. I can't say enough good things. Taylor Jenkins in mind for sure. Yeah, we're gonna have to wrap this up pretty quickly, but we got one more award left to go. Yeah, the most improved player. And to me, this is the one with the most candidates, other than maybe Coach of the Year. Like I think John Morant seems to be the front runner right now. Personally, I don't think I would have him as the front runner. I think he was fantastic last year. I think how good he was last year has kind of gone. A little bit underrated and but you know that's just me so like to me i i think dejounte murray i i always struggle we were were talking about it before we recorded it's the same i think it's dejounte murray i think he would probably be my front runner right now you look at the kind of stats difference he has this year as a player as opposed to last year and it's not even a huge minutes gap and obviously he's phenomenal on both ends he's kind of carrying the load for the spurs keeping them in that play-in hunt so he would be my number one I think after that, though, it's kind of a bloodbath. Like, you got yeah. John Morant, you got Anthony Simons, you got Desmond Bain, you got Tyrese Maxey, you got Miles Bridges. Darius I think Garland. Darius Garland, yeah, Jared Allen. Tamar DeRozan, I feel like, kind of yeah. nice to be in that conversation. Like, he's been so good this season. It can't, it can't get underrated. Like, yeah, there's a lot of guys that, that belong in the conversation. If I were to give a top three, I think I would have Jaw third, Simon second, Murray first. That would be how I would rank it. I expect Jaw to win, though. I think just the fact that he's a superstar, I think he's going to get that nod because of the fact that he's playing so well. But I think in terms of most improved, Murray, to me, is the guy that has improved the most, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would side with you, too. I don't think that's too unpopular of an opinion. 
I do agree. I think Jaws' season last year, I think, was very underrated, especially considering he's he's a minus 400 favorite to win as of just over a month ago now. In saying that, Jaw has not slowed down. He's continued to perform. If we're giving him the benefit of the doubt and saying that he's really having a supernatural jump this year, then I will happily give the award to Jaw because he's been playing great. For me, besides Duante, because I don't want to, I don't want to, or uh, Duante, sorry. I don't, I don't, we're going to play the same game. Dejounte, I, I think. Yeah, Dejounte. Yeah, we're just going to keep playing this the entire year, whatever. Besides, I don't want to be repetitive, but again, guys like Fernie Simons, I think deserves to be there. My personal pick, if it's not going to be Morant and it's not going to be Murray, personally, I think it's going to be Miles Bridges for me has been great for the Hornets. He's only gotten better as this season's gone on and the chemistry be- between him and Melo uh, outside of just being, of course, a, lo- a massive lob threat, I think has been really cool to see. And he's also gotten better defensively as the year's gone on too. He wasn't necessarily in the bottom half of the league, but he wasn't excelling like people expected him to. But he's been a big help to uh, a Charlotte team who hasn't been great on defense this year. And uh, yeah, I think I think Bridges definitely is up there for me, much like uh, Garland, Simmons, and Moran, of course, and uh, Duante, like you had said. Outside, we'll say outside of those five guys. So outside of Morant, Bridges, Garland, Murray, Simons, who's your pick? If you had to throw another name in the hat, that could kind of get some votes. Bain or Maxi? I think I think I go with Bain over Maxi. I think Maxi was better last season, and that's why I would probably say Bain has improved a little bit more. But yeah, both of them, both of them have improved a lot this year, and they've both been fantastic for competitive teams, which is an underrated aspect of most improved for me you know, proving that you can do it on a good team and you're not just putting up numbers on a crappy team. So I, I would say Desmond Bain, like Desmond Bain is like a top five candidate for me, I think. Yeah, I was um, I was going to throw Bain's name in the hat too. And you had also mentioned DeMar DeRozan, who was someone on my bubble, who I don't think people are giving quite enough credit for the year that he had, especially early in the year when he was a leading MVP candidate. He, he's been playing great all year. And especially with a few of the injuries that the Bulls have had over the year, he's been really alleviating a lot of pressure that has been put on a lot of that roster. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't say enough high th- like good things about DeMar. I, I love DeMar. DeMar, I say it, DeMar, I like it. But I mean, he, he's a guy that... <laughs> I had to, you know, I had to do it. Come on. It's the other way around, of course, if, if, if you know, you know, but uh, no, I, I love DeMar and he's, uh, he's been playing great. He's been balling the entire year. I mean, arguably the best mid-range scorer of our generation. I mean, of course, Kevin Durant's up there, but I mean, aside from that, yeah, I definitely think he deserves that conversation, but yeah, guys, this has been season two, episode four of the OTL layup line. I'm very happy as always to be joined by Nolan. Always great that we can catch up and do this. Uh, we're going to be a lot more constant over the next few weeks, especially with March Madness coming out. Nolan is going to be pumping out content like a workhorse, I'm sure. We're going to both be filling out uh, March Madness brackets for you since they just got finished uh, about an hour before we started recording. And we're going to fill those out. We're going to go over those in the next episode. And round by round, we're going to be giving you guys some hot takes, some trends, and then doing round by round breakdowns and maybe some new projections. Outside of that, going to the playoffs, we're going to have, be having a lot of basketball playoff content, I'm sure, uh, both on the podcast and written for the site. And past that, I mean, I great catching up, finally having another episode. I'm happy to be back. Uh, hopefully we'll be, as I said, a bit more constant because we've both been busy, but we're going to work through it. We're going to power through, especially at a very basketball heavy time when March Madness and the playoffs are starting very uh, imminently. We're going to going to be on the ball and uh you guys are going to get a lot of great content so definitely look forward to that is there uh, anything you wanted to mention that you're going to be releasing soon yeah i got march madness articles i'm working on right now should be released very shortly so talking about who i think are the five biggest contenders to potentially win no bias of course because we share two mics on the same podcast but nolan is a very very credible source when it comes to march madness content so definitely do not pass up an opportunity to go check out what he's got going on and besides that there's a lot happening around sports i'm sure I'm sure we're gonna get active uh past just the realm of uh nba playoffs and everything else besides that so go check out our uh our conjoining podcast as well i'm sure the otl spike boys are gonna be releasing some content soon i'm sure you're gonna have a brady special or something like that since jack's a 
big Brady fan, big Patriot guy. Blue Jays way is going to be kicking up soon now that uh, the MLB's back on track. So definitely be sure to check that out. Curtis and Tyler had uh, Jeff Blair on it the other day. Probably the coolest guest I've I've seen on any of our podcasts so far. I mean, you and I have been kind of. We haven't really been able to get anyone super marquee yet, but I'm sure that time will come in the summer when some huge basketball people are more available. But past that, be sure to check out all the other content on the site. We got a lot going on all the time. Articles daily, podcasts pretty much going out every week or every other week. So don't hesitate to reach out, interact with us uh, on Twitter, Instagram, follow the podcast, throw us a like on whatever you listen to, whether it be Spotify, Anchor, any other platform of that, Apple Podcasts. And yeah, guys, we'll uh, we'll look forward to giving you uh, season two, episode five, which will be our big March Madness special. And yeah, guys, don't smoke your layups and have a great day.